We'll hear argument now, number 98387, Greater New Orleans Broadcasting Association versus United States. Uh, Mr. Ennis. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The federal scheme at issue here is so riddled with exceptions that it cannot materially advance the government's asserted interests, and it is insufficiently tailored because those interests could be advanced more effectively by regulating the underlying conduct. The asserted interests are helping states that want to protect their residents from exposure to advertising for gambling activities and reducing the social costs of gambling. But federal law now permits advertising promoting government casinos, Indian casinos, racetrack and off-track betting to be broadcast from within even states that have not authorized those forms of gambling. Make, make the assumption, and it's an assumption I'm sure you would disagree with, that Congress could prohibit advertising for casino gambling, that that's a stable category you can tax based on casino Assume it's a stable category and, and, and you could pass a regulation prohibiting all advertising for casino gambling. Uh, why does the calculus change when Indian casino gambling is exempted? What, what's, the, what's the theoretical and the jurisprudential reason for your objecting to the statute if it has that exemption in it? Well, well first, Justice Kennedy, uh, this statute doesn't even prohibit all advertising for private casinos. It permits private yeah. casinos to but, but this, this, is, this is a hypothetical case. That they, no casino gambling advertising except for Indian. This is not that case. The reason, I just want to the reason, test the reason for the is that The government doesn't assert, and it's certainly not obvious, that there is any difference in the social costs between gambling at government and Indian casinos and gambling at private casinos, particularly when the federal law allows the government and Indian casinos to provide the same games operated by the very same private but company. Can't, can't the government weigh on the other side of that equation the fact that casino gambling may be essential to the well-being of Indian tribes as a source of income, whereas it doesn't have to weigh that and say that it's very desirable that private casino owners have a similar source of income? I think not, Chief Justice Rehnquist, for two reasons. First, here as in discovery, the fact that there may be social benefits associated with Indian and government casino gambling has absolutely nothing to do with whether the federal scheme materially advances the government's interest in reducing the social costs. Second, even if there were such benefits, those benefits would not satisfy the central Hudson test under the fourth prong, because the very same benefits could be obtained by taxing private casinos and giving those revenues to uh, govern state governments or Indian tribes. Is, is there a more not if, not if you don't have any private casinos in the in the in the states where where the Indians are located? I, I don't. I don't know what kind of a scheme you're envisioning. Well, Justice Scalia, if the private casinos are not in those states, those states are not going to be that concerned about them. But if they are there, they could be taxed by the federal government and the proceeds distributed. So the social benefits argument here, as in discovery, uh, isn't sufficient. In discovery, the government made a very similar argument. They argued that it was okay to allow 
distribution of newspapers, but not of commercial handbills, because the newspapers had greater benefits, greater social value. Is, is there a more basic First Amendment argument, and that is that Congress cannot uh, grant or withhold the ability to speak based on the identity of the speaker? Or are you foreclosed from making that argument because this is a commercial speech case? Uh, that's, that's, that's what I wanted to explore. Justice Kennedy, I don't think we're foreclosed from making that argument uh, because it's a commercial speech case. But I think this case can be decided on much easier and more straightforward grounds, the basic prong three and prong four of Central Hudson. This well, it's not really the identity of the speaker involved here anyway. Uh, they, they wouldn't allow anybody uh, to advertise uh, gambling on behalf of the private casinos, whether it's the private casinos themselves or just some public interest group that's interested in promoting gambling. That's correct, Justice Scalia. The, the ban is a ban on broadcasters, not on the private casinos themselves. But I took Justice Kennedy's question to be that, effectively, they're banning the private casinos themselves. Mr. Annis, could — I didn't mean to interrupt you if you're going on with him. Well, I, I have a question when you're done. Justice Souter. It's a nuts and bolts question. Would you explain to me what the — just the legal mechanism, the, the text, the regulation uh, that — results in the scheme that you described in the yellow brief in which the private casinos can advertise, but there are certain subjects they cannot advertise. I understand they can't advertise payout ratios. Uh, I guess they can't give photographs of games in progress. How does, how does that come about? What's the scheme? Uh, Justice Souter, the answer to that is, is that the statute itself does not prohibit all broadcast advertising even of gambling activities, it only prohibits broadcast advertising of, quote, games of lot or chance. And the FCC, the implementing agency, has interpreted that for more than 12 years as if the advertising does not directly advertise gambling activities, then it's permitted under this federal scheme. Now, under that interpretation, the FCC has repeatedly ruled that even private casinos can broadcast advertising in every state saying that they are a casino and that the odds for fun, a winning vacation, and Vegas-style excitement are high. Isn't but they cannot the advertise. Casino? It's only if they have the name casino. Only if they have the name casino, yeah. Justice Stevens. But virtually 98 percent of all casinos have the name casino, and they could easily change their name to come within that requirement. That what they can't advertise is advertisements showing or depicting the actual specific games they offer or their payout percentages. And in that respect, they are treated differently from government and Indian casinos, which can advertise everything. So casinos are okay, games of chance are not. Yes, although the FCC itself has acknowledged that even the word casino is itself, quote, promotional. If of it's not in gambling. quotes, yeah. Do you know, just uh, as a fact, uh, there are about 36 or 37 states that allow casino gambling? Uh, no, Justice um, Breyer. There are about 38 states that allow right. state uh, lotteries. And there are um, about 12 states that now authorize private casino gaming. And there are, there's casino gaming authorized by Indian tribes in approximately 31 states. I, so I might so are, do the 12 that uh, allow private are there Indian tribes in each of those, do you know? I don't know. There are Indian tribes in many of those states, for certain. Uh, we don't know the exact number, but there's — the government's own lodging indicates 
that as of 1996, there were 240 separate Indian gaming facilities in this country. Mr. Ennis, and that is, number is, is growing rapidly. Is casino gaming different from casino gambling? No, I noticed in your brief you never used the word gambling. It was always except, <laughs> except that you assured us that, uh, that this uh, — uh, that this law would not uh, would not reduce uh, compulsive gambling. I gather there is compulsive gambling, and everything else is gaming. Is that it? <laughs> uh, no, Justice Scalia. There's no distinction between well, gaming and gambling. Why don't we use the real word and call it gambling? The, I, I'm I'm happy to use the real word. Gambling. Mr. Ennis, is it the case that in a statute or regulation they do use the word gaming? Uh, some statutes use gaming and some uh, use gambling, but I, there's no material distinction, and I'm not I, I remember the first time I came across it in a regulation, I thought, oh, they're, they're regulating hunting. <laughs> <laughs> I think Congress doesn't really like to authorize gambling, and, and uh, the, the Indian Gaming Act has a much better ring to it. Well, Justice Scalia, that used to be the case, but today — Congress not only authorizes an enormous amount of broadcast advertising for gambling activities, but even requires states to permit the gambling itself by Indian tribes. Federal law not only allows broadcast advertising for Indian casinos in every state, in most states, it requires the states to allow the underlying Indian gambling itself. In fact, Florida is suing the federal government right now because of that. Mr. Innes, I take it that part of the government's submission is that um, the bulk of gambling occurs uh, in private casinos, if you view the problem nationwide, and that the exceptions are only a small part of the overall effect. And therefore, they say that the um, limited prohibition of advertising in private casinos does accordingly address the bulk of the problem. Uh, Justice O'Connor, I think that's not quite a, a, a accurate description of the government's position. As I understand the government's position, the government has not asserted a general interest in reducing consumption of gambling or even of all private casino gambling. The government doesn't care if a psychologically stable middle-class gambler wants to spend his or her money in that form of entertainment. The government's concern is with reducing the social costs of gambling, particularly by compulsive right, but gambling. they say that the social costs are um, really achieved in the private sector, and that's why they have this limited base. Well, Justice O'Connor, there is really no reason to believe and no evidence that compulsive gamblers are more likely to gamble compulsively in private casinos than they are to gamble compulsively. Well, I think you missed the point. They say the bulk of the gambling is in private casinos. So we're, we're hitting the bulk of the problem by this ban. They, they gave a percentage in their brief. I forget it was. It was a surprisingly high percentage. Was it 80 percent is in private casinos? Uh, no, I, I understand, it was I understand what you're, you're talking about. The government cites one study that suggests that private casinos in 1996 may have accounted for 40 percent of all gambling revenues. But if well, you look at not just casino, but all gambling, which, of would, all gambling which would include uh, state lotteries That's and correct. everything else. But if you look at that study, it's page 39 of the Christensen uh, study. The study itself makes clear that casino there was described very broadly, not just the land-based casinos we're talking about, but riverboat cruises and overseas uh, you know, 
fantasy boat cruises, all sorts of things. Moreover, that same study shows that in the I'm previous just curious year, on that on that point, do you count the quote cruises in the Mississippi River and in the Calumet River outside Chicago? Are they which are they? Are they are they counted or not in that study? I, they a lot are of these cruises every don't conceivable both never get kind from of, the shore. Every conceivable kind that you could think so of. So you, you, would, you would exclude the river boats on the Mississippi No, I'm not trying to exclude them, Justice Stevens. I'm just trying to point out that that's a very inclusive definition of casino. But the important point is — I don't understand. Aren't Mississippi riverboat cruise casinos covered by, by the statute? Yes, you, they are. Well, then so, — so why shouldn't they include it? I don't — they, 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 I'm not arguing that they should include it. Uh, Justice Scalia, I simply want to point out that that same study shows that in the previous year, this is from 95 to 96, there was a 3.3 percent increase in all of that broadly defined private casino gambling, whereas there was a 13.3 percent increase in Indian casino gambling, because in 1988 Congress authorized and made Indian casino gambling legal. Indians have now started to build and operate Indian casinos, and rapidly, Indian casino gambling is taking over the market. Suppose private casino gambling, which is the target of the federal regulation, accounts for 90 percent of the gambling in the United States, hypothetical case. Uh, what would your argument be before us? Well, my argument would still be the same. It wouldn't be as dramatic an argument, but it would certainly be the same, uh, because this scheme, since it permits so much other stimulation of gambling activity, uh, cannot materially advance the government's interests. We have to look at what the scheme permits, not just the current empirical reality of what's happening under the scheme. Second, under the fourth prong of Central Hudson, if private casino gambling is such a problem, the government can easily regulate private casino gambling rather than ban certain kinds of advertising about private casino well, gambling. If we have a 40 percent figure that we're working with hypothetically, it seems to me that that's close enough for the government's interest uh, to comply with EDGE. Your, Your Honor, I think that EDGE is really quite different in two important respects. First, the prohibition on lottery advertising in EDGE was completely consistent with the quite different federalism interest that the government there asserted, even-handedly supporting both lottery and anti-lottery states. And any ineffectiveness of the restriction was the result of geographical happenstance that the station happened to be close to the state border, not of the conflicting provisions of the scheme itself. That's not this case. Here the government is not asserting that kind of federalism interest. Its scheme overrides the federalism interests of states and forces every state to permit broadcast advertising of government casinos, Indian casinos, and even promotional advertising of private casinos. Second, EDGE involved broadcasting of an activity that would have been illegal in the state where the broadcast originated and thus arguably did not even come within the protections of the commercial speech doctrine to begin with. That is not this case. We're only talking here about advertising of lawful activities. Well, yeah. no, no, they're, they're lawful where they're conducted. They're, they're, they're not lawful in every state where they're advertised necessarily. But, Justice I mean, Scalia, you say most of the states, what? Twelve uh, states have authorized private casino gambling. It's lawful in those 12 states. Yeah, there cannot be any broadcast advertising within those 12 states. 
But there are 38 states that haven't, and in those states at least, this, this ban does indeed ban something that's unlawful in those On states. the second point of my distinction of edge, in those 38 states, that's correct. It's not yeah. correct in the May I ask, Mr. Ennis, one question first. Um, we've been talking so much about the exceptions. Is it your assumption as a predicate for the whole argument that the statute would be constitutional if it had no exceptions? Not at all, Justice Stevens. Uh, the statute at issue in 44 Liquor Mart did not have a uh, great many exceptions, and it was found under co- unconstitutional under 44, under the Central Hudson test. Here's why. The 44 Liquor Mart involved a prohibition of price advertising. And this Court found, no member of this Court thought it was axiomatic that eliminating a prohibition on price advertising would materially reduce the consumption of alcohol. The government tries to distinguish 44 Liquor Mart on the ground that that case involved a restriction on price advertising, not the promotional advertising. But both distinctions are incorrect. This case does involve a prohibition on price advertising. But there was Private something casinos. else going on in that case. I mean, uh, I think uh, it, it had the smell of, uh, of uh, uh, giving existing uh, maybe mom-and-pop stores uh, a monopoly, of, of protecting against fair competition in order that existing uh, sellers could, uh, could have high prices and not, not be uh, fiercely competed against by, by price cutters. And there's, there's not that, uh, that problem here. I can't think of any other reason that the government would be enacting this prohibition except genuinely to stop you know, to stop uh, a rush to the, to the gaming tables. Well, Justice Scalia, let me uh, respond by saying that I don't know what was in the minds of all the justices in 44 Liquor Mart, but the opinion does indicate two problems with that statute that are equally present here. What opinion are you talking about? Uh, I'm talking about the plurality opinion and the concurring opinion of Justice O'Connor. Particularly Justice O'Connor's concurring opinion makes the point, which the plurality also makes, that even if the restriction in 44 Liquor Mart would have materially advanced the government's interests, those interests could be achieved more effectively by regulating the underlying conduct, and therefore the scheme violated the fourth prong of Central Hudson. That's certainly true here. Look at the possible regulations of conduct. The government could regulate private casino gambling by imposing the same federal regulations it now imposes and considers adequate for Indian casino gaming. Or it could impose betting limits in order to reduce the problem of compulsive bettors, absolute limits. It could uh, prohibit gambling on credit, uh, which would address the compulsive gambler problem. In fact, the government could even prohibit private casino gambling entirely. What what, what would you do if uh, two states legalize marijuana and Congress prohibits the advertising of marijuana in any by any broadcaster in any state? Your Honor, I think that um, prohibitions of marijuana, of other things, would have to be judged under the same statutory framework of the Central Hudson test. Whether they would survive or not would depend on precisely what the government's interests are, how many exceptions there are, uh, whether the government has tried regulating the underlying conduct in other states and can't effectively do so, uh, those who, are different who decides different what questions. the government's interests are? I mean, is it up to the court to decide what the government's interests are, or can we take the word of the government as to what its interests are, so long as they're not discriminatory in some way? 
uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist, uh, this Court's commercial speech cases make clear that not only can the Court take the government's word, it must take the government's word precisely and cannot think up other interests that might be stronger interests. Here, the government asserts an interest not in reducing uh, the gambling itself, even casino gambling, but in preventing the social harms caused by compulsive So gambling. if the government in its brief had asserted that broader interest, the case might come out differently. It depends on what the government says in its brief. Uh, unfortunately, Chief Justice Rehnquist, I think it does make a difference in how different cases might come out depending on the precise interest the government puts forward. And it's, it's the Solicitor General who decides what the government's interests are rather than Congress? To Unless Congress has itself specified an interest, that would be so. In Coors, this Court said that the Government Litigation Council can even posit an interest that is completely different from the interest that Congress initially posited. But whichever it is, the Court must take the interest as, as the Government has posited it here. Well, Mr. Ennis, the, the, the Court has got to take the interest within the limits that the Government posits it. But the Court does not have to take the interest uncritically, does it? For example, if the if, the, if this case were being argued on the question of interest rather than on prongs three and four, wouldn't it be open to the Court to, to assess the, uh, let's say, the, the realistic character of the asserted interest by reference to the very exceptions that you're arguing here? Wouldn't we, in other words, be free to say it's not plausible to say that the government's interest is what it is when it allows all these exceptions and, in fact, goes so far as to promote some of them. Absolutely, Justice Souter. I didn't mean to suggest this Court can't review the asserted interest. It just has to start with whatever the asserted interest is. Mr. Ennis, do I understand that your argument essentially is we can take as conceded or that you demur to the first two uh, Central Hudson factors? that your case rests on the third and fourth, and because you think you have a secure case under those, you don't have to get into what some of the amici urge, that we depart from Central Hudson and elevate commercial uh, speech to a higher notch. Well, Justice Ginsburg, it is our principal argument that this restriction fails prongs three and four of the Central Hudson test, and that's so plain that the case uh, should, should and could be decided on that ground. But we also argue that this would be an appropriate vehicle to resolve the issue that's been a continuing issue among members of the Court. In our view, this is an appropriate vehicle for the Court to say unambiguously what it ruled in Virginia Pharmacy Board, and that is that the First Amendment makes for us the choice between paternalistic approaches and opening the channels of communication when we're what talking about truthful speech. For, for example, if we were to take that broader ground for advertising of cigarettes and control of that. Well, Justice O'Connor, under that approach, uh, excuse me, Justice Ginsburg, under that approach, uh, advertising of cigarettes would be, would be viewed under the same scheme, which would basically be a this regulation is presumptively unconstitutional, and the government probably cannot survive scrutiny unless it meets something equivalent to strict scrutiny. But there may be compelling justifications for regulating cigarette smoking, in, and it may be that that is the least restrictive way, given the fact that the government has tried alternative forms of regulating the underlying conduct, 
And there might be a much more significant underground problem by completely banning cigarette smoking, uh, whereas there's no such underground problem from banning private casinos. Mr. Ennis, why is it that the government has to go all out or else not at all? I mean, in, in Liquor Mart, I frankly couldn't see how the government's uh, scheme was going to do any good at all. In this case, your argument is quite different. In, in, in this case, your argument is this, uh, the government scheme here may protect only 60 percent of the country from, uh, uh, from gambling, casino gambling advertising. It'll certainly protect those, those no. people who are too far away from government-owned casinos and Indian-owned casinos, but very close to private casinos. Justice Scalia. And New Jersey may be some. I don't know. Justice it's, Scalia. Indian casinos in New Jersey? Our argument is, is different from that. Our argument is there's no reason to believe this scheme protects anyone from broadcast advertising for private casinos because in every state, federal law allows private casinos to promote the fact that they are casinos. No, but I, I deserve I, I, the remainder of my time. I, 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 sh- I, I want you to have your time. But I share Justice Scalia's term. In your answer to the hy- marijuana hypothetical, you said, well, the government has to do something else first. And I don't understand it. Why can't it ad- attack advertising first? We can't adver- attack advertising first when the basis for the attack is not that the advertising is false or misleading or overreaching. That's what this Court basically held in 44 Liquor Mart. It must regulate the underlying conduct first. And that's, that's an easy thing to do in this case. It might be harder in the case of cigarettes. If a state allows, uh, allows uh, prostitution, it, it has to allow advertising of houses of prostitution? Is, is that the position you're, you're, you're espousing? The question would be I think whether. The answer is yes. The question would be no, we're not talking about the state. We're talking about the federal government. Well, and the federal government make it is the not federal authorized. Government. Make it the federal government. The federal government. The federal government, if the federal government wants to authorize prostitution nationwide, it has the to. federal government could not constitutionally restrict advertising for prostitution nationwide. I don't see The why. federal government is certainly not going to take that position, and it doesn't need to. Thank you. Very well, Mr. Ennis. And Ms. Underwood, we'll hear from you. Private Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Private casino gambling operations are illegal in 38 states. Congress supports the policy of those states by prohibiting the casinos that operate legally in the other 12 states from using radio and TV commercials to reach into the homes of people in all 50 states. Well, Mr. Ennis says that's not so. He says they can uh, use those means, but there are just certain details that they can't advertise about. Do you have a basic dispute about the facts of the way the law is applied? I'm not sure whether the dispute is about the facts or about the way of characterizing those facts. The FCC and the statute prohibit broadcast advertising of gambling activities. When casinos um, operate also, as they claim to do, when when, uh, institutions operate as hotels and restaurants and nightclubs, the FCC has reasonably taken the position that their advertising of those activities is not covered by the ban. Now, there are cases that are close to the line because uh, an enterprise that runs many different sorts of activities and is prohibited from advertising its gambling activities may well try through its advertising of other activities. But it isn't even trying, is it, if the advertising advertises a casino in Las Vegas, which I guess is legal. There isn't any mystery about the fact that's a gambling casino, is it? Is there? 
Well, it can't actually advertise that it's a casino, although it can avoid that problem by putting the word casino into its name. Which most of them do. Which many of them do, yes. Um, the FCC has attempted to draw a line between the advertising of non-gambling activities and gambling activities, and that's the way the line has been drawn. Um, if the word casino is used in connection with too many of these, you know, you have a good chance, it's too, too many words connoting uh, chance and luck activities, the FCC has said that that, in fact, constitutes um, a, an advertisement for, for casino gambling. But, of course, there are anomalies close to the line. But couldn't one argue that it's somewhat perverse to give free reign to the Las Vegas casinos to advertise the fact they are casinos when the implied message is gambling? but to prohibit them from giving truthful information about what games are played, what the odds are in their slot machines and all that sort of stuff, which might actually uh, be con totally consistent with the government interest at uh, stake here. Well, I think this is quite unlike the um, Liquor Mart and Coors problem, which is, I think, the analogy uh, you're, you're drawing when advertising is generally allowed and particular items are, uh, are taken out in order, and the result is to make the market in advertising less accurate or less honest. This is a situation where what Congress and the FCC have tried to do is eliminate the broadcast advertising market in gambling activities altogether. And the problem that we're talking about arises because enterprises um, engage in other activities as well and seek to market those activities and seek to smuggle in their advertising of casino gambling. There, there is one analogy with 44 Lickamart, even on, on, the, on your description, and that is, as Justice Stevens pointed out, as long as the word casino is in the title of the establishment that's doing the advertising, everybody knows that it's casino activity which is being advertised. But one of the things that that advertiser cannot do uh, as I understand it, uh, is advertise his payout ratio. He can't say you have better odds because the payout ratio here is such and such than you do in the Indian casino up the road or across the state border. And in that respect, uh, there, there is an analogy to the price advertising in Lickamart. This is value advertising, uh, which is prohibited. In Lickamart, it was price advertising. This anomaly only arises, as I said, because there is uh, the ability to connote, to evade the prohibition on advertising the existence of a gambling enterprise. Yeah, but the, the, that's a fact, and we have to deal with it. And I suppose if the government were going to be consistent in its own theory, the government would take the position, uh, the FCC would have taken the position, uh, that an establishment that has the word casino in its name may not advertise, because it can advertise without advertising casinos and everything that connotes, but the government doesn't take that position. Well, that would be an even more effective way of serving the government's interest. It cannot advertise that it has slot machines, games of chance. It can attempt to connote that, and that's what creates the problem you just would, got. Would you respond to one other point that was raised by Justice Scalia, actually, in, in a question that he put to Mr. Ennis? Uh, and he said there's another feature of, of 44 Lickamart that's not present here, and that is there, there, was, there was quite clearly there a uh, a, uh, uh, an, an advertising ban which put the, the mom and pop shops and so on at a, at a disadvantage. It, it interfered with competition within the market for, for that kind of liquor. Uh, and isn't something very much like that uh, present here? Because, in fact, the way the scheme works, uh, 
all non-casino forms of gambling that are authorized by states and charities uh, can say what they want to say. The Indian casinos, which are promoted by the government, can apparently say what they want to say. Uh, so that the onus falls entirely on the privately owned casinos. And isn't that, in effect, an interference with competition in the gambling market? No. It is principally a decision by Congress to — Congress identified a particular problem, the problem of private casino gambling, which is — Partly a federal interest because the states have independently, 38 of the states have identified that as a form of gambling. Why is the problem in private casinos different from the problem in Indian casinos? I I mean, the only argument that I heard in the government's brief was, well, the Indian casinos tend to be off in the boondocks somewhere, and people can't get to them quite so easily, and so compulsive gamblers uh, don't resort to them that well. Well, they may be out in the boondocks, but I don't see that that, uh, that goes to the government's interest. I, I don't see why that suggests that compulsive gambling isn't going on in the casinos that the government promotes as, and, and, and allows to advertise as readily in the, as, as those which are subject to restriction. A more important distinction, Justice Souter, is that — Well, is, is that — before you get to the more important distinction, how about the one that I was uh, <laughs> at, at, attacking? Is, is, is my criticism fair? I don't know that there's any evidence about the different incidents of compulsive gambling at the different casinos. Congress chose to promote Indian casinos. It was a, it's a controversial policy. It was a decision to try and promote the economic development of Indian tribes, which had been quite, which is and has been quite an intractable problem. Do you know how many uh, of the 12 states there are uh, Indian casinos, say, either in the state or near the state, so it might attract a lot of customers? Um, is it fair to assume that most of them? No, it is not fair to assume that most of them. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very variable. The, um, uh, oh, there the are 240 across the country or something, so I've been assuming that probably a lot of these are in these states. And if that's not so, you better... It's not so, to the best of my, it's not so in New Jersey, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri. In how many states do we find Indian gambling casinos today? A large number of states have Indian gambling. Well, anyway, the, the, the point would be, I guess, that It's like 21. <laughs> it, I mean, this is sort of, I mean, suppose, for example, the government were to say uh, marshmallows are bad for your health. We don't want anybody advertising them. But for the scouts. I mean, the object there, I guess, would be to get revenue to the scouts. That's a good purpose. But, I mean, is because we'd like money to go to the Indian tribes uh, a justification uh, for uh, 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 stopping them from uh, advertising what is a lawful activity in those states? I mean, the consumers get the advertising. The consumers read all about it. Go to the casino. Win a million. There is also, with respect to Indians, not just that they are a worthy recipient of, of, uh, of, econo- of charity but that, or, or of uh, economic development, but that they are — they have a special relationship to the federal government, like the states themselves, but the, but as sovereigns whose choices are enti- — yes, yes, of course that's true. But my point would be, is it a justification to stop the advertising of a lawful activity uh, where, in fact, the people in the state will get the message, go gamble? 
So your only justification is you'd like the money to go to a group that's a very worthy group. Well, it's not the only justification, Justice Breyer. In fact, private casino gambling, we've been been talking about numbers here, it represents 40 percent of the total gambling market. It represents more than 70 percent of the casino gambling market. That is to say, the Indian tribe gambling is, is, and the charitable gambling, and the state gambling is a very small part of the market. But if you could just say Justice Breyer's question for for, for one one minute. Is it permissible for Congress to favor a particular interest, a particular segment of the population, a particular group, by its speech statutes? I mean, of course Congress can uh, give subventions to uh, Indian tribes in in many ways and support their gambling. Can it use speech as an element of political largesse? Can it use speech as a reward to one group and not to another. Isn't that what Mr. Innes is arguing here, that the Congress can't do, or or am I missing the theory? Well, that may be one of the things he's arguing here, and I wouldn't want to assent to that proposition as a general matter. The distinction that's being drawn here, though, is between governmental entities on the one hand and private enterprise on the other. um, Congress has decided to uh, permit Indian tribes, which are, which are sovereigns and which are in need of economic development, both, um, to engage in an activity which it has, which it has otherwise chosen to discourage. May I both ask you on your distinction between governmental and private entities? Supposing we had a state statute instead of a federal statute, and the state wanted to prohibit uh, advertising of privately owned casinos but allow advertising of its own casino. Say Illinois hadn't operated such a casino and they wouldn't allow advertising. Would a state statute prohibiting all advertising, newspaper, handbills, and everything of private casinos protecting its own be constitutional in your view? Well, there'd be a di- I'm not sure that it would. You're, you're now inter- interjecting a ban on all advertising. Right. And I would like to point out that this is a limited prohibition. It doesn't prohibit all advertising. It prohibits the most intrusive kind. It prohibits radio and TV advertising. And that is narrowly tailored to these interests, to the interests of the state. But it it allows newspaper, magazine, and all the other kind of advertising uh, without without any limitation. Is that not right? No. Related statutes here prohibit interstate uh, transportation and mailing um, of of advertisements. What's left open to the private casinos is to advertise by um, billboards and handbills and circulars and local newspaper supplements and, and matters that don't uh, uh, travel. For the mails. Ms. Underwood, is it is it um, is it the case that all Indian casinos are remote? No, it's the case that most of them are. Well. I'm not sure of the answer to that. Certainly in my home state of Arizona, the casinos are right there in the largest urban center of the state, are they not? Yes, but I would like to... If they had been remote, I was was going to ask you whether you've noted any difference in the the class of customers at uh, uh, at, uh, Las Vegas and Atlantic City. I mean, I don't know that buses of elderly people from retirement homes... uh, uh, travel out to Las Vegas, and uh, and they certainly do to Atlantic City, and that that might have been a justification. But if you think the uh, the Indians are, are in Atlantic City as well, then uh, then I guess we can't use that, can we? No, there there is no uh, Indian gambling in New Jersey. If that was, yeah, no, but there is some in Connecticut. Connecticut. <laughs> I mean, th- 
Don't, don't they take buses up to Connecticut? I mean, is it any further from northern New Jersey to go to Atlantic City than it is to get on the bus and they go across Long Island, take the ferry, go to the big casino that I think is near — isn't there one near New London somewhere? I think it would be surprising if Congress could not decide to promote a limited amount of casino gambling for the benefit of Indian tribes and that that decision barred it from otherwise pursuing its two uh, substantial state interests here, that is to say, furthering the policies of those states. And there are numerous states that have no Indian gambling and no no, uh, private casino gambling. As I read the statute, the statute itself doesn't refer to casinos. You said Congress was concerned with casinos, and, but the statute doesn't even refer to casinos. Well, there's an interesting uh, — the hole in the middle of the donut can be found in the legislative history. What happened in 1988 um, was that Congress was told uh, that private — the charities — Uh, and local fire departments who wanted to hold raffles and car dealers and travel agencies who wanted to hold the occasional raffle were being hurt by their inability to use local radio and TV. Um, The first bill to solve that problem was to lift the the ban on broadcast advertising for all lawful gambling. The House refused to pass that bill, and what it did was it added an amendment expressly prohibiting broadcast advertising by private casinos, and it defined them as for-profit businesses that engage in uh, roulette, uh, blackjack, it listed uh, slot machines and so forth. That's the definition that Congress, that the House chose. It went to the Senate, and the Senate flipped the statute to have what everyone agrees is the same effect, but instead of having um, uh, just a ban for private casinos, what it has is a general ban and a list of exceptions for everything except private casinos. But it's understood by all here that it has precisely the same effect, that in 1988 Congress did target private casino gambling as the object of this broadcast ban. Ms. Underwood, am I right in thinking that if a state wishes to ban gambling entirely, then no Indian casino can be set up in that state? That's correct. The, uh, the uh, authority of the Indians to gamble depends on a compact. The obligation to negotiate for a compact depends on the fact uh, — on the states permitting some forms of gambling. However — that form of gambling could in- include charitable organizations that have gambling as fundraisers. That's correct, and have occasional gambling and therefore do not pose nearly the same sorts of hazards as the standing operations that private casino gambling is. Um, on the uh, — On the broadcast advertising point, because this Court has previously recognized that broadcast — the broadcast medium poses special problems. Um, Excuse me. Before you get off that last point, don't you find that that poses sort of a problem for Congress? I mean, Congress could have met the problem it was concerned with by simply uh, not requiring states in order to keep out Indian gambling in order to, you know, to, 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 to prevent bingo games. But Congress says, unless you go after bingo games, and what, what about what about uh, you know Monday night poker? Is that uh, is that uh, you have to ban that too in order to keep out casinos? Uh, I'm not uh, familiar with the well, details. It's really extreme. Congress is really concerned about casino gambling. I mean, uh, to, to to put such a strict limitation upon the states, the only way you can keep it out of your state is to ban all forms of, uh, of, of games of chance. It's not Monday night poker. In fact, the statute, uh, the Indian gaming statute, divides gambling into three categories, uh, and uh, it's 
the class three gambling, which in, encompasses casino gambling, it also in, encompasses both the occasional casino night as well as the standing casino, and that's that's where this happens. What else besides casinos are in that class three? It's um, it's slot machines. Um, it's uh, but but not bingo. And you're saying it's just roulette wheels and, and roulette wheels. Like yes, bingo is uh, class two. Yeah, how how so. about racetracks? That's separately regulated altogether. That's not uh, not not in any of these classes. That's 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 correct. Um, yeah, there's no ban on advertising for racetracks, is there? Ban on advertising for the racetracks? No. <laughs> or high lie or dog races. Those those activities have been taken actually. Um, uh, have been for a long time regarded as not games of chance because there is there's thought to be some skill involved in assessing the. Uh, <laughs> well, you can only lose what twelve times a night. I mean, as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to roulette. Well, I think that's an important distinction. Both the harm to compulsive or pathological gamblers, the, the appeal to them and the devastating social costs that are inflicted are incident to the continuous play feature of, uh, of uh, Well, of course they're worse, but it is also a serious problem in lotteries, isn't it? There are a lot of compulsive people who gamble with lotteries. There has been a problem with lotteries. It is not — Congress was entitled, as the states themselves decided that it wasn't the same order of problem as private casino gambling. Mr. Mr. Ennis argued, I I think it's a fair characterization of his argument, that Congress has to attack the root of the problem before it uh, prohibits speech. Uh, If that's a fair characterization of his argument, uh, is there authority for or against that proposition in our cases? Well, some justices, some opinions have said so. I don't believe the court has so so held. And I would say that edge is the best authority for the proposition that particularly where the, comp- the different choices of different states are involved and are to be respected, Congress is peculiarly unable to attack the problem by a nationwide regulation that would, for instance, ban private casino gambling or regulate it, when, it, when one of its objectives is, in fact, to permit the states, the, the minority states, uh, to make a different choice, but its effort is to protect the choice of the 38 states that prohibit this activity, as well as to pursue its own overarching uh, concern about the, the social costs of, of gambling. Um, and EDGE did not require Congress to seek some other way of serving that objective before uh, passing the the statute that it passed there, which is related to this one, but involves the different treatment of state lottery advertising as distinguished from private casino gambling. I suppose if if the rule were expanded to prohibit casinos from even saying their name or to prohibit casinos from advertising their entertainment, although I, I guess that what they say is Las Vegas-type entertainment. That gets the message across. But if, if it were expanded that way to be more effective, as Mr. Ennis would like, I suppose you'd be up here uh, defending against a different attack, namely that the prohibition was overbroad, broader than was necessary to achieve the uh, objective that the government desired. Well, that's correct. The statute is, has consistently been attacked in this litigation from both directions on the ground that it's too broad to be 
constitutional or too uh, or, or too narrow to be constitutional. And Senator, would, would you just explain the linkage between the government's purpose to get a handle on the addictive gambler and this prohibition? Because it seemed to me that this prohibition is effective against the casual gambler, the person who's going to be entertained. But the true drunk is going to find the bottle, and if the bottle is there, in the, in the, whether it's the Indian reservation or whatever, so I, I don't see the connection between this kind of prohibition of some advertising but not other and the, the, the addict. Well, that involves a lot of assumptions. Uh, I mean, any, any attempt to deal with this problem involves some assumptions about human behavior. If broadcast advertising is intrusive, which seems to be uh, — and reaches very widely, if it, stimu- it, it has a particular ability to stimulate demand, to remind people that this is what they want to do, uh, to induce in them the desire to do it, to — to, to create, to help create the addiction, then it's a reasonable way of attacking the problem. Um, so a TV commercial luring the newcomer, the one who is not yet addicted, but maybe yes. A TV commercial showing a slot machine pouring out money with lots of people rejoicing and saying they don't have to work anymore is a lot more seductive. Well, it, TV commercials reach a, a much broader kind of audience than newspaper advertisements, just because many fewer people read newspapers than watch TV. Isn't that so? That's so, yes. Um, And, of course, broadcast advertising, which has this broad interstate reach, is completely beyond the regulatory power of the states. So to the extent that this is an effort in cooperative federalism, the federal government has attacked this problem where it has the unique um, authority without intruding Excessively on the choices of the states that have made uh, that, that have made a different choice. Um, there is uh, no reason to interpret the Constitution to require Congress to outlaw this controversial practice altogether, rather than seeking to keep it off the airwaves and to reduce demand, and especially to reduce demand among those impulse buyers who uh, respond to broadcast advertising. Senator Kennedy suggests that, that maybe you cannot favor uh, one minority group. Uh, I'm sorry, Senator Justice Kennedy. <laughs> I have a lifetime job. It's a <laughs> it's a long time ago. I, uh, uh, he suggests that maybe you can't uh, uh, you can't favor a, a minority group. Uh, by restricting speech, and that is, in a way, what's going on here, uh, exempting them from a prohibition otherwise, namely the state, state Indian Indian casinos. Is, is that proposition correct? I'm trying to think of any other area where uh, one minority is uh, is permitted to speak and and others aren't. Well. Um, it seems to me the, the question should be no different from the question whether Congress could decide to outlaw private casino gambling altogether but permit Indian tribes to engage in it. Um, I, I don't know why the question should be no different. I mean, speech is different. Yes, but this is 
commercial speech. This is speech that is very close to an act. This is like an offer to sell services. And your, your argument is commercial speech is not different from non-speech Commerce Clause regulation, and that's, that clearly is not so. No, I'm not — I didn't mean to argue that. What I meant to argue is that it has something in common with it. The reason it doesn't have — um, the reason it is a separate — it has been treated by this Court as, as a separate category is that it partakes of some of the qualities of — Is there some record evidence uh, in this case or in a, a companion, the other cases, that would suggest that if you're in a state with nearby Indian casinos and gambling is legal and you're hit with a number of advertisements, come to our Indian casino but not come to our private casino — that that makes some difference in respect to compulsive gamblers? I mean, why doesn't Indian casino gambling, advertising, have precisely the same effect Even as if private casino advertising in respect to the compulsive gambler rationale? It may. It may. But well, once it does, then you're really back to the only justification being that it's better to have the money go to the Indians than it is to have it go to private people. Mm -hmm. And that's why it seems to me the same. It's better to have the money go to the Boy Scouts than it is to have it go to the grocery store. Well, except that the that's in bothering me. The now. Indians, I think, stand in a on a different footing in this discussion from grocery stores or Boy Scouts. Of course, uh, of course in respect to economic regulation, the answer would be all the things you mentioned. But this is speech regulation. And it is at least have to be proportionate. Well, so it, proportionality in respect to the restriction. Uh, well, is this a justification in, on that kind of a test? Well, it is a um, it is a restriction, a speech restriction that follows a a conduct restriction. That is to say, just as those states which conduct lotteries may advertise them, so may those Indian tribes which conduct lotteries may advertise them, and Congress was entitled to distinguish those activities of — And, of course, aren't, aren't some of the Indian gambling casinos, in fact, being operated by private casino interests, such as Harrah's or something like that, that just pay over a percentage to the tribe? Isn't that the situation? Yes, that is the situation in some cases. But the money goes to the tribe. Yes. Ma maybe, the, maybe the answer to uh, 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 Justice Kennedy's question is that, uh, that a minority is not being favored uh, in, in allowing them to say things which, uh, which others cannot say. As I understand this law, nobody can, under, can advertise private casinos, right? That's correct. And it, that I'm not allowed to. Indians aren't allowed to. Nobody is allowed to advertise private casinos. That's correct. And everybody is allowed to advertise Indian casinos. If the private casinos want to help out the Indians, they can advertise Indian casinos, right? That's right. And that's why this is really a, it's a substantive a, a restriction sub rather than a speech restriction. And rich and poor can sleep under the bridges. That's true. <laughs> Nobody can advertise marshmallows. Anybody can advertise Boy Scout marshmallows. Well, the question there would be whether that distinction is, is, is permissible or not. But it's a question of whether the substantive distinction is permissible. It's not that you're allowing some people to say things which other people can't say. That's correct. Um, there's nothing inconsistent about the fact that Congress permits churches, civic groups, and fire departments to use the airwaves to promote the bingo games and raffles they use for fundraising. That simply doesn't pose the same kind of problem that the standing private casino uh, poses. Um, 
Let me ask you one, one last question if you're, if you're just about run out of your, your argument. Supposing a state prohibits the sale of liquor on Sundays, could it prohibit advertising of the fact that the neighboring state has the liquor stores open on Sundays? Could, could the state do that? Say Illinois prohibits the uh, sale of liquor on Sunday, but Indiana does not. Could Illinois prohibit Indiana advertised from advertising in the Chicago radio stations and Chicago newspapers that their stores are open? I, I think probably not, particularly if you're talking about all advertising. But if there were wide diff- variation among the states on this issue and Congress chose to enforce that variation through a ban on broadcast advertising that left newspapers and other methods open, I think it could do that. Thank you, Ms. Underwood. Uh, Mr. Ennis, you have three minutes remaining. Mr. Chief Justice, I hope I have time to make three brief points. The first is in response to a question raised by Justice Ginsburg, uh, and that is that the word casino clearly signals to compulsive gamblers and non-compulsive gamblers alike that gambling activity takes place. This is remarkably like the Coors case, in which the Federal scheme prohibited the posting of alcohol content on labels, but permitted Yes, but, Mr. Ennis, you're not going to convince me that you'd like the statute better if it did not allow the use of the word casino. Not that I'd like it better, uh, Justice Would it be okay? Would it be constitutional if they didn't allow them to use the word casino? No, for other reasons. But because — No way out of this. But because this — not under this scheme. Because in Coors, the Court said allowing the use of malt liquor signals high alcohol content, and that means it cannot materially advance the government's interests, that's equally true with respect to the word casino. Second, many, many Indian casinos and a growing number are located close to population centers. Harrah's operates an Indian casino in North Carolina, the edge state, which it advertises is within a day's drive of half the population of this country. Foxwoods in Connecticut is within two hours from both New York City and Boston, closer than Atlantic City. There are at least 22 Indian casinos near Sacramento, 13 near Phoenix, six near Portland, Oregon, and growing every day. Third, this scheme cannot be justified on the basis of the special characteristics of broadcast because the scheme permits broadcast advertising in every state of government casinos, Indian casinos, and even private casinos when they say, I'm a casino. Furthermore, this scheme does prohibit print advertising that uses the U.S. mails. And Congress clearly didn't think that broadcast was worse than print because violations of the print advertising ban, you go to jail for two years for each offense. Violation of the broadcast ban, you go to jail for one year. Mr. Ennis, how many many states have government casinos? Four, as as of this moment, Justice Scalia, but that's a very recent trend just in the last year or so, and, it, and that's growing as well. Right. Justice Scalia, let me also point out, your, your, your off-track betting, this scheme permits broadcast advertising, not just for racetrack betting, but for off-track simulcast betting, so that people can gamble every day, day long, and broadcast advertising is unlimited. Finally, I just want to answer the, uh, the, one question that was asked, and that is, in both Coors and 44 Liquor Mart, this Court ruled that the availability of non-speech regulations meant that the scheme could not pass the central Hudson test. That's this case. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Ennis. The case is submitted.